Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. You know, just a couple weeks ago, I celebrated a milestone. Well, me and Celeste did. We both uh, celebrated together because we've been married now for 20 years. Now, it's hard to believe that 20 years has gone by. I know because I look pretty young. But uh, when I look at who I am today compared to who I was back then, man, I'm really surprised, one, that anybody would marry me. Uh, But I'm surprised by the person that I've become uh, through that relationship. You know, recently, Celeste was going through this box, and it's a box of old letters that are the old dating letters. And, um, you know, when I read them after 20 years, and, and I was trying to find one that I could read for you today, and, well, no, I'm not going to read them because apparently I was quite smitten and maybe even a bit romantic. That's not something I get accused of very often now. You know, Celeste and I have a ministry now to help marriages thrive. And we often hear people complain about things like, well, my spouse used to be so romantic before we were married, but now it seems like they don't really care. And most of the time they really do care. They care a lot. They're in love with their partner, but life has gotten in the way and they haven't invested in the relationship as much as they should have. Often what has happened, one or maybe both of the spouses has diverted all of their attention to their kids or their career. And they've just neglected that relationship because they've taken it for granted. And we all do that at times. You know, often we see couples at the 20 to 25 year mark that describe themselves as roommates instead of lovers. And what happens is these couples just slowly drift apart over time. And that can lead to divorce. Now, other couples don't even make it that far. Canadian statistics show that a large portion of divorces happen within the first four years. What I think happens is they can't navigate the fact that they're just different people from different backgrounds with different expectations. They never learn to handle their differences and they give up and they just walk away because either the person or the institution of marriage didn't meet their expectations. The experience for both of these types of couples is that the relationship that they thought they had was not as advertised. So why am I telling you this? You're often going to hear Christianity described as a relationship with God. And in the same way, if our expectations aren't met, we can experience disappointment and frustration and believe that what we were told about Jesus, again, was not as advertised. And that's the title of our series over these last few weeks, Not As Advertised. We've been looking at some of the myths that we can easily believe about Christianity and how we can know the truth about them. Now, the third myth that I want to take a look at today is this. If you know Jesus, you'll always feel close to God. And again, you may hear this from well-meaning people who may have had that experience more than not, or maybe they want that experience for you. But this isn't always true. And let me be clear, it is possible to feel close to God, but we may not always feel that way. You know, when I first started following Jesus, man, I was so excited. I was 26 years old. I just started university and I was surrounded by this group of people who were also excited about their relationship with God. And I followed the recommended strategy to know God. I was reading my Bible a lot. I was learning to pray. I had an older mentor who had asked me the tough questions I needed to address in my life. Now, these are things we should all be doing all the time to grow in that relationship. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to find out more about who God is and who Jesus is, and this is a great strategy. Read through the first four books of the New Testament if you want to know who Jesus is. I've met so many people 
who've wanted nothing to do with Christianity because of the actions of people who claim to be Christians. I tell them, don't blame Jesus for the actions of his followers. Find out who Jesus really is. Read through the gospels, those first four books of the New Testament. And then start praying. Now, prayer is simply talking to God. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be eloquent. God just wants you to be honest with him. Tell him what's on your heart. And then invite a mentor into your journey. We talk about this a lot because it's important. And a mentor is simply someone who is a little further down the road than you. And because they're a little further down the road, they can show you the way around. They can show you how to get there. So find someone you respect, someone that knows Jesus, and ask them to mentor you. If you don't know who to ask, ask us. We're going to do our best to connect you with someone. You know, it's been three weeks now, and you've heard me say this a few times. But if you're wanting to know more about Jesus and how he makes a difference in our lives, sign up for the next Alpha class. I'm telling you, there's no better place for all your questions to be answered. And you get to do that with a group of other people who are also trying to figure out some of those things. Now, even though I was doing the right things, good things, I still had this up and down, kind of like a roller coaster experience where I felt like, you know, maybe I'm not doing enough for God. But I didn't know what else I could do. And I didn't have much desire to read my Bible sometimes. Sometimes I felt like God was like right here, right beside me. And sometimes I felt like he was a world away. He was so distant. And it's pretty similar to that complaint we hear from couples. When the honeymoon stage is over, there's many things that compete for our attention and our devotion. And the relationship changes and it doesn't look the same. So now I'm living in this state of uncertainty and confusion. And I was starting to believe that maybe the faith I was promised was not as advertised. And this is when one of the most important conversations of my life happened, if not the most. My mentor sat me down and he explained the most life-changing concept that I've experienced to this day. So I want to share those with you. And these are the steps he shared with me about avoiding those ups and downs and getting to know God more and being closer to him. The first one's this, be sure you're a Christian. <laughs> you know, I would sometimes even doubt that I was really a Christian because I couldn't be as good as I thought I should be. Maybe Christianity was just wishful thinking. And either way, this whole Jesus thing was not as advertised. But my mentor shared with me that I had it all wrong. See, I was still trying to be good enough for God, hoping that he would accept me. And like we talked about two weeks ago, if just like we can't swim to Hawaii, it doesn't matter how good we are, we can't be good enough to earn a relationship with God. We just can't do it because we are not perfect. See, that was the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins. And our sins are just the things that we've done that are contrary to what God wants for our life. When we try to take control of our life and just make things happen for ourselves. And that's why Jesus rose from the dead. He did all of that so all of our sins and all that junk could be forgiven and we could be in a right relationship with God. So here's some verses that my mentor shared with me. And the first one is this. And this is from the book of 1 John chapter 5. And it says this, it says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So where is eternal life found? It's found in his Son, Jesus. 
who has eternal life? Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, who have Jesus in our life. In thirteen, verse 13, he goes on to say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, words really matter to me. And there's two words in this verse that are very important, and don't miss them. It's the word know and the word have. It's possible to know that our relationship with God is secure. And it's possible to know that I already have eternal life. But I always thought that eternal life was heaven, this place you get to go to when you die. And in some ways, I think that's why I was still trying to earn my way there by doing all these good things. I didn't want to take any chances if something happened between now and then, however long that's going to be. But my mentor shared another important verse with me. And this is from the book of John. And John was a good friend of Jesus. And he records these words that Jesus said in chapter 17, verse 3. He says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'm a simple man, so I love it when I get a clear and simple definition. See, eternal life is not something that we need to wait and hope for and then maybe someday it'll come or work for. It's something we can experience right now. And just like we talked about two Sundays ago when Jesus talked about hell, he wasn't simply talking about some place where you might go when you die. He's talking about the reality that we can make this hell around us and it's evident in our world right now. And the same is true about heaven when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. It, heaven is some place that we will spend eternity, but we also get to see pocket, pockets of it here, right now, here on earth. And so if you struggle with where you stand with God, would you make that decision today to trust Jesus so you can be sure that you're forgiven, that you're in a right relationship with God? It can be the most significant life-changing relationship in your life. If you want someone to pray with you and you want to know more about that, you can do that in the chat. And even if you want to make that decision today, please let us know in the chat so we can come alongside you and help you grow in that new relationship. Okay, so here I was. I was convinced that I have eternal life. But I think my next question was a pretty natural one. If Jesus is in my life, why do I have so much trouble knowing him and doing the right things? I was told Jesus would change my life. My mentor asked me the following question. He said, what's your understanding of the Holy Spirit? Now, when I was growing up in church, I had, I had heard God called the names, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And our church, from what I remember, didn't talk too much about the Holy Spirit. And sometimes churches are afraid to talk too much about the Holy Spirit because maybe they've heard of some other churches who that's their focus and it gets a little bit strange or you see some of the things on TV um, where it gets like really weird and you're like, you know what? Let's shy away from that. And we might just feel safe talking about Jesus because then you can't go wrong and there's no confusion. Now, I can understand if my church did that, even if all that's just my experience, I can understand why they do that or why anybody else would do that. But a right understanding of the Holy Spirit and how to be empowered by him it's vital in living the life that God wants us to live. So let's be a church here at Circle that does the best job that we, can, that we can about learning about the Holy Spirit and who he is. And there's lots of great teaching out there. And I love the people at the Bible Project. 
because they do a great job of producing short, clear videos that teach about the Bible. Come to the Bible Project classes when we have them going on. You'll, they're fantastic. It's just learning more about the Bible and how it applies to our life. But they have a great video on the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to show you this. It's four minutes, but they'll do a, a better job in four minutes than I could do on four Sundays on talking about the Holy Spirit. So let's watch this together and we'll come back. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, 
The spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Now, I hope you enjoyed that. I love that video. Now, my mentor shared with me, that's not just enough to know who the Holy Spirit is. Second point is we need to be filled with the Spirit. See, when we invite Jesus to enter into our life and we begin that relationship with him, the first thing that happens is that we receive the Holy Spirit. To the church in Ephesus, uh, Paul wrote this in chapter one. He said, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, a seal in ancient times was a sign of ownership. And essentially, when we enter into a relationship with God, we're saying that we're signing the ownership of our life over to God. And then the Holy Spirit is given to us as evidence of that ownership. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God is at, at work in us and he's re- recreating the world by recreating us as people of God. And this is how he does that. The Holy Spirit goes to work inside of us and he changes us from the inside out to look more like Jesus. Paul said to the church in Galatia, he said this. He said, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, I've shared these verses with hundreds of people, and I can't remember one person who said, yeah, you know what? That's not what I want for my life. This is what we want. This is who we want to be. This is who we want the people around us to be. But here's the problem. See, I'd made that decision to follow Jesus. I had the Holy Spirit living in me. I could be certain of that because God's word tells me that. But I still felt powerless to do the things that I wanted to do. So it's kind of like this glass of milk. You know, I can, I hope you like chocolate milk. I can put chocolate syrup in here all day long. My mom would stop here. I'd probably go a little bit longer. And so what we know is that there's chocolate in there. But if I offered this to you, would you drink it? Probably not, because you'd be saying like, well, this is now neither milk, nor is it chocolate. So what do we need to do? So kids, if you're watching with your parents, just yell it at them. Like seriously, yell it at them, because I can't hear you. But what we got to do, we got to stir it up. And by stirring it up, what happens is we're letting the chocolate permeate all the molecules of this milk. And that's what milk, chocolate milk is supposed to look like. And this is a good metaphor for what our life with God is like. Because I think one of the reasons many of us are frustrated in our spiritual life is because we really don't want to give control of our lives over to Jesus. In fact, some of us may be cringing at that word control as we sit at home right now. Our Western culture tells us that we're the masters of our own destiny. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. Try harder, work faster. And at some point, we need to realize that if we want all the good things 
that God wants for us, we need to give him full access to our life and trust him. You know, I think of it like this. I used to have that really up and down experience with God. And I still do some days. And I wish I could just have more of the Holy Spirit. If I could just keep dumping chocolate in. But then one day I realized I don't get more of the Holy Spirit. I actually don't need more of the Holy Spirit. I have the fullness of God living in me. He actually needs more of me. See, I was limiting access to areas of my life to him. You know, last week we sold our trusty old 1977 motorhome. And the person that came to buy it, um, she, she was buying it and she walked into our house and we had to wait for an e-transfer of money. And so we we're in the, the foyer area of our house and I had to leave the room to go get the keys. So I told her, well, wait here while I'm gone because I didn't want to tell her, oh, go around, do whatever you want in our house because I don't know her and I didn't trust her. So I wasn't comfortable with her looking around areas of my house and looking through the drawers and seeing what I have. Now, if we had become better friends, she might get invited into the living room next time or in the kitchen, you know, third time at our house, you can get whatever you want from the fridge and because uh, you're like family, right? But the same is true for some of us. We might be certain that Jesus is in our life, but we're still uncomfortable with giving him access to maybe our relationships, our money, our career, our thought life. But you know what? There's no one that we can trust more than Jesus. And as we give him more access, he changes us to look more like him. That's pretty amazing. In the book of Ephesians chapter five, it says this, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, in all these years, I've never looked up the definition of debauchery. And I think because in some ways, I don't want to know what it says. I just know that's bad, right? It's just bad to be drunk and do those things. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is a command to be filled with the Spirit. And I really like this comparison because just like the way alcohol will take over all of our faculties, the Holy Spirit should take control of all of our lives. He should be having an effect on the way that we talk, the way that we walk, the way we interact with everybody else. And in our life, we're going to see very little or we'll see very slow change in our lives until we learn to give him more control of every area of our life. So how do we do that? Here's three steps we can take to be filled with the Spirit. The first is simple, desire to be filled with the Spirit. You know, there's no magic formula. There's no words that you just say and then all of a sudden you are. It's more a state of your heart that matters. Do you want to give God control? Do you want him to fill you. And then the second is keep a clean slate with God. You know, the moment that you know that you've done something that displeases God, you've done something wrong, just tell him you're sorry. That's called confession. Don't pile things up and wait till the end of the day or the end of the week or wait till you have to tell somebody. At any time, that's the prayer. We can just say simply to God, God, I'm sorry. That's not what I want to do. That's not who I want to be. So would you forgive me? And so we keep a clean slate with God. And then the third point is just ask God to fill you with his spirit. And say, God, I don't want to be that person. Would you fill me with your spirit so I don't have to be that person? And a good picture that was shared with me about this is spiritual breathing. Now, 
everybody, I believe, knows how to breathe because you're here. But the first step is to exhale. So I want you to do this now. So just take a deep breath out and exhale. And as we do that, think of confessing your sins to God, getting it all out, saying, God, this is every, everything I am, everything I've done. I'm just giving it to you. If you haven't already, take a breath. Inhale, or else it'll get very comfortable, very, uh, very uncomfortable, very quick. And when we inhale, all we're doing is asking God, okay, God, I've got all that out. Would you fill me again with your spirit? We fill your lungs. Now, we don't get more of the Holy Spirit, so that's every analogy breaks down, but it's a picture of giving God that control again and saying, I need you to fill me. Now, initially, you may not notice any difference at all. You, you may not have this overwhelming sense of peace. You may. The heavens may not open up and you may not hear the voice of God yelling at you. Angels probably aren't going to come out of the sky and surround you and carry you on their shoulders like the end of the movie, Rudy. I don't know what's going to happen. You may not even become a more patient or loving person today, but we can trust God that he will fill us because that is what he wants us to do. He commanded us to be filled. And that's what he said he would do. And over time, as we learn to walk with him, he will change us from the inside out. It's a journey and it takes time. God can change some things immediately. I've seen people uh, healed from addictions and other things in their life. And he does sometimes do that immediately. But many of the things that he does are a process. And we need to think of our life with God as a marathon instead of a sprint. And the third thing that we need to do is be available to the Spirit. And this is where the fun begins. And we've been talking over the last few weeks on how God is recreating that perfect world by, by recreating us as a people of God. When we're filled with the Spirit and we learn to listen to God more, we know him better, we trust him more, and we're part of what God is doing to fix the world. And we may not always feel close to God, but we will be much more in step with what God is doing in our lives. We'll be able to see that better, but also in the world. So here's my advice. Don't rely on your feelings for an accurate snapshot of your reality. We're going to have all kinds of feelings, but that doesn't determine who God is or who we are. And it's not what you do for God that matters, but what he does in and through you that really counts. So if you're still trying hard to feel closer to God, let go of the control. Give it to him. Start with making that decision to follow Jesus. Make an effort to keep on being filled with the Spirit and be available and willing to him. And you will feel closer to him over time. Now I said earlier that we just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And not every day has been easy by any stretch of the imagination. And there were more than a few days where I felt like I had nothing to offer. We've had a lot of great days and we had a lot of painful days, but we did it together. And I'll tell you this, there's no other person on this earth that I would rather spend the next 20 years of my life with. Celeste has helped me be less selfish, more kind, more generous, and an all-around better person. But as much as that is true in our marriage relationship, it is only a glimpse of what God has done in my life as I've learned to let the Spirit have access to my life 
See, Celeste was able to encourage me. God was able to change me from the inside out. God made me more patient. He made me more kind. He made me more loving. All those things that we read, I can see those changes happening where God has done those things for me. Celeste gave me the opportunity to practice. Now, that's who we should be. As we are being changed individually, that's what this community is, that we get to come together and we get to encourage each other and walk this journey together. Mentors and mentees and and people walking alongside each other in their good times and in the bad. So may we do that for each other. And would you give God control of your life today? Now, in a moment, we're going to have communion together and Paul's going to come and do that. But the band's going to come and play a song for us right now. So as they're playing, would you just reflect on what we've talked about today and ask God, are there any areas of my, of my life that you need access to that I'm holding back? So I'll let you talk to God about that and we'll come back in a few minutes and Paul will lead us through communion. God bless you.